When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. A one, two, three, four. Thanks for listening to this podcast produced by Diddy TV. Visit DiddyTV.com for more exclusive on-demand content or download the official Diddy TV app from your app store today. Welcome to Insights, everyone. Today, we're excited to have G-Love on the show, chatting with Amy Wright about his latest studio album, Philadelphia, Mississippi, an album that's heavy on collaboration with some of Delta Blues and hip-hop's most well-respected artists. Joined by players like Chris Stone King, Fish Ingram, John Tavius Willis, Alvin Young, Blood Hart, Chuck Treese, Schooly D, and many more, Philadelphia, Mississippi is an important record for G-Love, as it connects his hometown of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, down to the heart of the Delta Blues, a sound that he's been voraciously obsessed with since he was a kid. We're excited to have him on the show today to chat about the album and to learn about his life growing up in Philadelphia, and so much more. So without further ado, here's G-Love with Amy Wright on Insights. What was it like growing up in Philly, and um, what was music like for you as a kid? I mean, when did you start playing music? That's a loaded question. So I started playing music when I was eight years old, and my mother put me in guitar lessons at a place called Settlement Music School. Uh, I, started, I studied folk guitar, and I was terrible and I hated it. And then when I was about 13, I could tune the guitar and it actually started sounding pretty good. Um, and by 15, I started writing songs and playing a harmonica on the rack. And that kind of went from there. And so then how did Philadelphia like play into that? Like Philadelphia is, um, you know, like Memphis or other big cities. It's a melting pot, the East Coast melting pot. Um, and I grew up right in the center city, uh, by the street called South street, which was like the Beale street of, uh, Philadelphia, right. That's where all the street musicians were and the street performers. So growing up as a kid in the seventies, you know, I was exposed to all this culture, like, uh, from all walks of life, you know, every different race and religion, you know, Gay people, straight people, homeless people, rich people, white people, black people, every ethnicity, every different kind of food. And on the streets, it was very vibrant. Like there was musicians and there was uh, uh, magicians. And there was a guy that played like the Mozart on the wine glasses. And there's another guy that had a marionettes. And he had three, three marionettes. He had a Jimi Hendrix one an Elton John one and a Janis Joplin one. So he plays boombox and make the little handmade marionettes like, you know, Foxy lady. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I'll never forget it. And um, so that influenced me to become a street musician as a teenager. And that was kind of where I cut my teeth and cut my teeth as a performer, like being a street musician. So that kind of cultural impact you know, being exposed to all that stuff and just being exposed to the fact that like, wow, you, you do something creative. Here's your stage. It's right there on the corner. Go do your thing. You don't have to ask anybody. You just have the guts to 
sit out there on the street. And, and I, and I did have that. And, and so that kind of was, um, a big part of it. And then the last thing I'll say is, uh, Philadelphia was one of the epicenters of hip hop. So the hip hop culture was happening also when I was growing up aside from my music, right. I was like writing graffiti and skateboarding and, and break dancing and doing all this hip hop culture stuff and playing basketball. Um, and I never thought that the hip hop side of my life would collide with like the folk blues side of my life. But then one day they did. And that's when, you know, I became G love. And that's specifically, I think from growing up in Philadelphia when I grew up there. So was there ever anything else that you thought you wanted to do? I mean, you get out of high school. I know you went to college for a bit and then you decided, Hey, I want to be a musician, but was there something else in there that, that you thought, Hey, I think I'm going to be this, or did you just know? Yeah. Like I, I kind of had that, that, that bug in my, in my ear since I was like 16. Like I, I, and it's basically like the songwriting is the thing that changed uh, my life. Um, as far as like, you know, I, cause I wanted to write the songs and I wanted to record the songs like just on my boom box, or whatever. And then I wanted to perform the songs. And then once I just got into the performance capability and, and honestly, the street performers thing, like first time I went to play in the street, me and my buddies and my, and my little girlfriend made like 20 bucks. We were like 16. Like, holy shit, we just made 20 bucks. It's 1986. Like, this is fucking <laughs> awesome. Like, and then it was just like a thing like, wow, like that was empowering, you know? And then I thought like, wow, you know, like I don't have to get a job. I don't have to go to college. Like I could be a musician. Like that was my passion. And, and so then I, I kind of like also think about like people in my generation, you know, we didn't grow up with the internet. There's no home studio, right? The, the music business is like, it's like a somewhere in a gal a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away type vibe. Like there's MTV, there's U2, there's Madonna, there's The Cure, you know, there's the Stray Cats, whatever. I'm just saying like, there's no way to get from here to there. And as a matter of fact, like you couldn't, even if you made a demo tape or a record, you couldn't just send it to the record labels. Like you, they would not accept unsolicited uh, uh, demos, which means that you had to have your demo sent officially by a music industry attorney, whatever that was, or a music manager, wherever you could find that, right? So um, there was no way to get there, right? So, you know, you said to find your baby steps. And what, what were they? For me, like playing on the street, getting some gigs, always seeing flyers for like, you know, demo competition or like the city paper, like looking the back of the city paper manager seeks talent. You know what I mean? All these little kind of connecting the dots like Hansel and Gretel to New York city to play for the labels, you know, but, do but you, once I had dream, it was like, yeah, I mean, I wanted to do it. You know? Do you think there's a lot more freedom for artists now than there was then? Like what, like, what do you mean? Like, Ability to market yourself via the oh, internet. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you, if you're like a savvy kid, um, 
or anybody if you're if you're computer savvy and like yeah i mean look like you if, if you have everything figured because you could do everything on your phone like you could if you figure out how to make great movies then you can make your own great videos and then if you figure out you know how to really work all the social media opportunities and make awesome high yeah you could do all the marketing yourself so like so the successful people are like and you can obviously like make hit records at home like billy eilish right her and her brother was like teenagers like and they made making hit records in, in their bedroom so th there's the possibility um to have like huge success with really just out of nowhere and, and that's really interesting um and that's unique to the generations that have grown up with the internet you know and um but it's also super daunting right because when i got signed you have to like go find a way to get to the label but then if you got signed right you're one of like a generally small amount of records that are going to come out that year as um you know like whereas now like we have to just consider that maybe on this very moment there's you know a thousand records just drop right the second you know what i mean because anybody can make a record and anybody can put it out themselves so so I think about like if you were like a new artist, like starting right now, it's pretty daunting to think about like, how are you going to cut through the, no the noise, you know? Well, I think that like to your point, there's pluses and minus minuses for both time periods. There was a lot more artist development with by the labels back 80s and 90s. And then now there's less of that if you're not signed. And so, um, you know, there's a mixed bag on on either end. But let's go back to Boston. You leave Philly, you move to Boston, and um, you start busking. You started playing in clubs. There was um, the Plow and the Stars. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you, you had a Monday night gig there that was ongoing, kind of a house band. Um, what did that do for your career? And then tell me a little bit about becoming G-Love and Special Sauce, because that happened there, right? Yeah, so basically... Um... I, I met my drummer at a Irish bar and we put together the band and, um, and, and, and there's another band in town called morphine who I'm sure you, you, you're familiar with. And, um, Mark Sandman was a lead guy and, and actually rest in peace, Mark, you know, he passed away years ago. Um, but his girlfriend, I had a real cr crush on her as a 20 year old. She was probably 26. I don't know. Mark was in his thirties, whatever. <laughs> and so she thought it was cute that this little kid had a crush on her so she told mark about me and then mark kind of took me under his wing and well they got to sign their deal with Ryko disc um he said well call noel over at the plowing stars and ask for uh, our monday night so that we started our residency and it's a small little irish typical irish pub in cambridge you know probably holds 150 people corner bar and um yeah, that was the deal. We get paid 125 bucks, three sandwiches, and all the Guinness you could drink, until they found nice. out. Twenty years old, and then they, then it was 125 bucks, three sandwiches, and no Guinness for me until the doors were closed. <laughs> <laughs> so, but we had to play. We played three sets, so you know. Um, so that was, yeah. So then we you know bring our own PA in, set up, and 
the first Monday night we loaded in, the bar regulars kind of looked at us. And they, I remember one guy was, we don't like your kind of music. And I was like, well, let us set up and play. He didn't, he didn't even hear us play. He's like, I don't like your music. I don't like your kind of music. You don't even know what we do. You never even seen us play. <laughs> so then we 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 um we played a show. You know, by the end of the first night, we had them all dancing, and then it just took off. Like uh, from that first Monday, then there would be start be a line down the block, and then and so we did it for like that 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 first year in '93 until we went and made our record and stuff every Monday night and. Um, it would be packed down the street and we'd still make the, I think they gave us a raise to 150 bucks, three sandwiches and all the beer you could drink after. <laughs> Listen, when you're 20 something, the sandwiches are very important. I'm just saying. I know. I know. <laughs> so you had Jeffrey Clemens, he's your drummer and bassist. You had Jim Prescott. And when did, when did you become G love and special sauce? And and I know your sound is pretty unique because you're kind of a combination of blues and funk and hip hop and everything else. So um, did that just immediately gel when you grabbed these two guys? Yeah, honestly, there's there's a recording of our first rehearsal that Jeff has, and it was the sound of my dobro, Jimmy Jazz's acoustic upright bass, and Jeff playing on an empty beer box with the brushes. And that was kind of the sound. Um, it was an immediate sound of like the wood tones. And Jeff was kind of uh, the old older brother, kind of, you know, kind of like um, disciplinary guy in the band. And, and he would always encourage us to make a lot of space in the music so that, that the, the space in between the notes, right, is what becomes even more important than the notes that you play, right? So the, it had a real open sound. And as a trio, it had an open sound. So there was like a sound like right away. And then what I was doing as a songwriter and kind of fell into, you know, doing his blues kind of riffs off the Delta blues that I was learning from Robert Johnson and, you know, Lightning Hopkins records. And then the, hip hop that I grew up listening to and was my music of my generation, like Tribe Called Quest and Eric B and Rockham and Gangstar and Boogie Down Productions and stuff like that. Like it was really organic and um I would like sit with Jeff in his truck and and I'd play him my hip hop and then he'd say, Oh that's a that's a that's a funky meter sample. <laughs> oh, that's a cool gang sample. And I said, who's, who are the meters? You know, <laughs> who's cool in the gang? Oh, that's celebration. Band, you know? um, so he knew all, the, he knew where the music that I was loving was coming from. Right. And so that, in that way, hip hop was interesting to him. And as a drummer, he liked the beats that the hip hop producers were making. And so we had, but so then, so the naming of the band, like, um, yeah, we right away we we went to play our first gig. Well, what Jeff said, well, what do you want to call the band? Well, I was already calling myself G Love by then, so I go, well, I'd always want to have a band called Special Sauce. So I said, I want to call the band Special Sauce. And then he goes, well, it's got to be G Love and something. I said, we'll call it G Love and Special Sauce. And then we got 
And then I got I got signed to record deal as G Love. He goes, Well, how come it's all about you now? I said, You're the motherfucker that want to call G Love. That's <laughs> 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 your fault. Yeah, don't be mad. Okay, so Tom DeMille, he's a producer. And then what's his what was his role in all of this? And I know you got signed eventually. So tell me about that. Wow, that's really digging in the crates. Thank you. I mean, that's that's uh so yeah, Tom was um gosh, how did I meet Tom? Um I'm trying to think how we even connected. It might have even been through like an ad, like a flyer that I put up like with tear offs. Um, but he had a little home studio rig in his attic where it was smelled like skunk to me. Later I found out he had one of those like grow marijuana growing capsules. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but like, yeah, it was, uh, yeah, it was crazy. Like we made a bunch of demos and he was like a keyboard player. So, um, yeah, he, he, we made a, a, a cool little demo. Um, and it was, it was really cool because I had this demo that sounded pretty professionally produced. And, um, and so when I like friends, when I met Jeff, my drummer, I played him the demo and he was like, oh, okay, you know, this kid's serious. Like he's actually got like a pretty legitimate demo. So Tom, and then he, and then Tom recorded the special sauce, uh, doing like a live session in, in my apartment in Brighton or Alston, in Austin in Boston. And, um, yeah, so he, he, he kind of helped me early on and then I met the band and then, um, then I kind of went on and did my thing. So he wasn't part of the special sauce, but he was like my first producer that I worked with. Amy, I just got to go check the, the one-year-old. He's wailing. Okay. I'll just be right back. Okay. Here you go. You got a guest star. This is June. Oh, what? what? what's his name? His name is June. June. He was born Hi, June. on the 15th. He just turned one. <laughs> hey, I'm a June 10th baby. So <laughs> oh, I love it. <laughs> Hi June. Is it nice to be there with your daddy? Oh, look at that. Lots of love. <laughs> Lots of G love to be had, right? <laughs> there we go. Okay. So um I, I think he's gonna answer for you on a couple of things. I'm I, I'm feeling it. <laughs> um so tell me about getting signed to a label. What was that what was that like for you and um how did everything change? When once you got signed, I mean, Amy, I remember like the the moment like we were sitting in Jeff's like studio apartment and in Austin, um, and we got the call from the guy who was managing us at the time, and um, so you the deal's going through. You know, we're signing with Epic. And I started crying because I was like, wow, it was like a dream come true. But here I was having this amazing like really like the best year of my life ever in Boston as a street musician. And then, you know, playing the local bars and I fell in love with this, this woman named Nancy and I had a best friend and I had his 1963 Dodge Dart and I had a attic apartment above the old man's bar in Brighton center. And things couldn't have looked any brighter for me. I was like living my, the best life and having, this time of my life and um and i just 
I just remember like being like, wow, like everything's about to change. And I didn't know what was going to happen, but I just knew it was going to, everything was never going to be the same again. And then, you know, it wasn't. Um, so it was like hitting the lottery and jumping off this cliff into the abyss. But we also went from being like on the fringe of society as street musicians to like working for one of the biggest corporations in the world, which was, you know, Sony, Sony Musics. So, um, you know, that was just an unbelievable thing. And um, yes, he's taking the bottle. Um, so it was, I'll, I'll just never forget the moment, you know? And then, um, yeah. And then we put that record out and we hit the road and then we basically you know, we're toured nonstop till like COVID hit and then actually got to catch our breath. <laughs> so you're now you're touring and um, um, you, you, so you're, 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 you know, out there, you're doing your, your thing. And you also uh, met jo Jack Johnson along the way. And you put out an album with a song on it, Rodeo Clowns. And I know that he went on to also um, put out that same song. So how did you meet uh, Jack? And, and um, I just was curious about that. Yeah, that was a, it's been a, you know, it's been such a wonderful friendship and, and um, meeting Jack when we did and kind of like having, you know, I'm quite sure that he would have been fine if he never met us, but like, you know, we're, we're, I, I'm, I'm lucky to say that I kind of discovered him and, and put him out there to the world. And, and, and I'm proud of that fact. Cause I, 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 continuously to this day uh i recognize talent and i recognize um greatness and um i recognized that and jack from the minute i sat with them but the story was like basically um my little sister's ex-boyfriend from the jersey shore a surfing buddy of mine named scott sowens when, when i got assigned and, and and because I grew up in Philly, but we grew up also at the Jersey Shore in this little surf town. And when I got signed, like a lot of the kids, like the younger generation kids kind of um, saw different opportunities than maybe their life would have gone. And one of them went on to be uh, the, the two brothers. They run the Obey clothing line with Shepard Ferry. Uh, and Scott Sowens went on to be a... Uh, a great surf and skate photographer and um and uh and so he had moved out to california and started working with all these surfers and stuff and uh so i was out in california making my fourth record philadelphonic and uh he goes hey garrett um there's this guy that i work with and his name's jack johnson he's got this awesome song rodeo clowns i think you should hear it and he's a big fan. Can we come by the studio? I said, sure, come by. So they came by. We went for a surf. And then we sat in my crappy hotel room at Topanga Canyon Ranch Motel that afternoon and traded songs. And I just remember thinking, wow, like every song that this kid played was like so beautiful and the lyrics and the chord progressions. And I was like, you know, it was just one of those moments. Like, wow, what's going on? So then I left there that or he left there. He gave me his demo and I played it for our producer T Ray, who was like a hip hop producer. And he was just coming off working with Carlos Santana on the follow-up for the supernatural record. So he was hot. And, um, I played him the rodeo clown song. 
And it just had this kind of like really timely kind of feel that kind of represented just that kind of generation of kids that were like a couple of years younger than me. And um, just remember thinking like, you know, cause the, the lyrics like the belly button rings and, you know, like just these different things that were popular at the time. And anyways, I asked Jack, I was like, yo, can I record that song? And then he goes, well, I got to think about it. And I was like, well, don't think too long. Cause we got a studio <laughs> tomorrow. So he called me back and he goes, well, could we do it as a duet? And I said, well, I hadn't, done any kind of collaborations with anybody since like my rapping partner jasper on my first couple records well i said all right okay fine so let's do it and then we went in the studio the next day and um he was so on it like he he nailed it in the first take like t-ray put up a hip-hop beat we both sat down with the acoustics he sang it live i played the guitar solo he put a double on his vocal, then a harmony. And then we basically had the track, except for my vocal. And I was like, wow, this kid is fucking great. And then I was like, I got cold feet. And I was like, Jack, man, I think you should just take this demo. I know you could get a record deal right now. And then he kind of talked me off the ledge and was like, no, I really want you to be on it. And um, so then I, I did my vocal. So if you go back and listen to that version of Rodeo Clowns, you hear like Jack's vocals panned on either side and then my vocal down the middle. Um, and then it was his song. And so later when he made his second record, he recut it. I love, you know, I love stories like that in the music industry and business. I mean, when artists along the way, they're working with other artists and there's so many stories like that. Um, I think it looks good on you. I don't know. <laughs> no way you won't lose it. I think we all want a pacifier just occasion, occasionally, <laughs> or a bottle for that matter. Um, Wait, Amy, so, I'm going to put him inside real quick. Okay. So let's go, let's go back to the album, The Juice. Um, you put that out when right before COVID hit, and it was Grammy nominated, and, um, uh, and then right after that, COVID happened. Were you able to tour at all before um, COVID hit, or did you just, were you just shut down? You know, we, we so we our, we did our first half of our winter tour and got through like the East Coast and Midwest. And then we went, then we had um, two weeks off during which my two-year-old Garrett Cass was born and I had foot surgery. And then, um, so then he was born the 13th and then the 28th. We hit the road to do the West Coast. And then that was right before that was when you heard like the coronavirus and there's, oh, now there's a case in Seattle. And meanwhile, we're starting in the mountains and then working our way up the coast to like, oh, now there's a case in San Francisco. And then we played the two nights at the belly up in San Diego. And then I had a day off. I went to LA because I had to, do some business up there and I called up my friend citizen cope and we went out in Venice, got a had lunch, which turned into happy hours turned into me keep saying, I'll get the next train. I'll get the next train back to San Diego. And then finally got the last train back to San Diego and it was starting to get pretty weird. And then we played Santa Barbara. So the day we got to Santa Barbara, we got the call 
saying tomorrow, tonight's the last show. Everyone goes home tomorrow, which was March 13th. And then that was it. Every And that was the day that like lives in infamy because that's the day that every band in every country or around the world like basically got sent home. You know what I mean? So, and then, then we were home. And, um, and it was like, yeah, it, it was like, wow. I just put out like this amazing record, which we had worked on for years and um, it felt really great. And um, yeah, it just got shut down. Well, let's talk about the new album because Philadelphia, Mississippi, I love the, the name of the new album and kind of what it stands for. Were you writing that this last couple of years? And um, what kind of gave you the idea for that concept? Because I know that it's, it's a combination of the Delta and also the sounds that you grew up with in, in Philly. So tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, Philadelphia, Mississippi, the album is The Pilgrimage of the Hip Hop Blues. So, and again, the story kind of um, took place in COVID because, because I was off the road doing different kind of shows and away from the band that were stranded in Nashville and Portland, Oregon. Um, I reconnected with my drummer, uh, friend Chuck Treese, who's an iconic Philadelphia area musician. Uh, and Chuck's played with everybody. He was the original member of Michael Franti's Spearhead. He's been in Special Sauce. He's been in The Roots and The Goats. He's been in Urge Overkill. He's been in a lot of projects. Uh, Santo Gold, a lot of stuff over the years. He helped people get going. And, um, and his own band, like Mick Rad, and he was in Bad Brains and everything, blah, blah, blah. But anyways, Chuck and I reconnected and did our duo show. And we're doing the backyard parties, like I said. So we were had some income. And I didn't want to come out of like the pandemic, like empty handed, you know, that was part of it. Like I made a Christmas record and then I had this idea to do this Philadelphia, Mississippi record because when we got the contemporary blues Grammy nomination um, and that was the lane contemporary blues to me, I finally found a, a, a box to fit in. Right. Which is what people always wanted us to do from marketing perspective, but we never, fit in any box but the contemporary blues works so well because it's just everything i do it's taking this uh this roots music iconic blues is everything part of american music and taking it and pushing it forward into any direction you want to go with it so that's perfect for me and um so i said i'm staying in this lane and i want to do a record where you guys are in Mississippi and um and so um you know I, I hit up uh my old friend Luther Dickinson whose father rest in peace Jim Dickinson produced my second record Luther and Cody and I have been talking about doing something for years and years so I hit up Luther I said well let's do this can we can you host us to do this record called Philadelphia Mississippi and I want to get all these blues players to come in emerging young men and women, blues men and women uh, that I kind of connected with on this, these blues cruises I've been going on because I, Oh my God, all of a sudden my eyes are open to this younger generation of blues men and women that are like 
in their 20s and younger that are like completely authentic and completely pushing the boundary of the blues and and paying homage to what was there uh so if you were ever wondering like was the blues in 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 danger of like dying it's like hell no like because there's you know Criston kingfish ingram and john tavius willis and you know takira jackson of memphis's own southern avenue and and then they got established older guys like alvin youngblood hart who's who lives in memphis and um guys like cedric burnside and his guitar player trenton ayers who's on the record and cam kimbrough junior kimbrough's grandson and Charday thomas who's othar turner's granddaughter the fife master um and all these people that are right down living in the memphis north mississippi area and that the you know luther and his family have been a part of and you know kind of community gelling family for the for those that blues uh community the hill country blues which is right right there so and because of the fact that it was the pandemic everybody was off the road right so everybody was home and everyone's out of work so everyone was down to have a day at work and some of the people that came through the studio knew who g love was and some had no freaking idea and and then uh, also rl boyce who's in in the neighborhood too and yeah it was just a magical session to get to share music and songwriting with all those uh people um for a week it was it was was unbelievable so you laid the tracks down in mississippi did that part of it and then you took those tracks and you went back up north and you added some added some other spice what was going on up there yeah, so w- when we we cut the record and it was like, wow, like in five days we had 10 guests come through the studio and everybody like took it to the next level. And, you know, what, what, and the record was playing out kind of just as, as it was conceived, which was like a blues, a hip-hop, a hip-hop blues record, right? And so then we realized like, well, there's some space, some, there's some opportunities here to get some MCs on it. And, um, yeah, you know, like we had trouble kind of getting, we originally were trying to get some Memphis based MCs, but we were having a trouble track attracting, uh, some MCs to the project. So we said, well, let me, let me, um, Let's give it some thought here and kind of like take it back to Philadelphia. And so then, then I just started thinking about some of my friends. Like, so Schoolie D is like the originator of gangster hip hop and like his older daughter and my older son used to play together as kids. So like, I know Schoolie, like we party together and hang out. <laughs> so I hit up and, I, and we've never done a record together. You know what I mean? And I'm like, and we have a song called Love from Philly. And I'm like, holy shit. Like, yo, yo, school. I got this track. Oh, hell yeah. I'll be down in the studio. And um, and then I said, well, one of my biggest influences in hip hop is speech from Arrested Development. And we toured with them in Europe in the 90s. And we caught up about 10 years ago on a plane home from the festival in Japan. And um, 
and follow each other on Instagram and stuff. And I'm like, God, let me just call speech. Speech is like, yeah, I'll do it. Oh my God. Speech can be on a record. And then Chuck Trace is like, yo, I'm gonna hit up Freddie Fox. Who's like this really like hardcore New York rapper from the eighties that I know from like the boogie down production records. And I was like, Freddie Fox, are you serious? Like, and then he was like, yo, Freddie's going to do the record. And I was like, Oh my God, this is crazy. So yeah, it, it just, um, it was unbelievable. And all those guys just like brought just, just everybody that added that joined in the collaborative process on this record, just lifted up what was there previously it just kept getting higher you know it was was really cool some really cool tracks on this love from philly like you said which is kind of a hip-hop tribute and you've got my ball laughing in sunshine tell me a little bit about just in general the kind of the music and where your head was with that a couple of the songs actually some of the ones that that you uh just mentioned were some of the ones that we kind of had prepared pretty well and in, in, in leading up to the session and chuck and i did a songwriting session in tennessee on the way down we had a couple of days off and we wrote that song laughing in the sunshine and we and we actually did a really nice writing session for two days and it was really collaborative effort between chuck and i and he actually did a lot of lyrics for the first time since i've been writing with him um and it was just flowing uh, laughing in the sunshine was just you know it's it just what it what it is it was just he had a i had the idea for the song called laughing in the sunshine and we just started a little groove and he started flowing this cool lyric you know some bum in the pack sunshine in my back i got some friends now they know where it's at yeah the music playing pushing no delaying i got the move can't stop to what i'm saying and it was just like, you know, about a good summertime plastic. And Love from Philly, I had got tapped by, um, it was actually an online festival during the pandemic called Love from Philly Fest. Uh, and a lot of big names were on it, including Schooly D, myself, and like John Oates, and uh, a lot of people, and to raise money for Philadelphia area artists. And they tapped me to write the theme song. So I had written that chorus, and that was hot. So then I wrote verses um and then chuck wrote his verse in the studio and my ball was a song that i just kind of um hi buddy that you can have that bring it over here he he stole the pop squad out of the freezer but my my ball was um that was celebration of of my wife uh rap that i wrote you know just talking about how awesome my wife is and um and then it was cool because that was the song that Freddie Fox was on. And we think of Freddie Fox as an MC is very hard uh, historically. And it was really cool to have him write a verse celebrating his wife. And um, so that was cool. But yes. And then, and then the last thing I'll say was that a lot of the writing happened on the spot in the studio because uh, everybody that came in was kind of tasked with bring a riff or a hook or, you know, like a verse to have something kind of like in your head that you want to do. And we're going to come in and write a song. And that was part of it too, to get to attract people to the session was that if you come into the session, we are going to be songwriting together. So although we cannot pay you a ton of cash, we're going to pay you some money, but the incentive that we're going to write together and we're going to own this project together. 
right? So that was the part of the like the the the, the, the business incentive to engage on the project as well. So lastly, I want to mention that you're releasing this as an NFT, yeah, right? Thank yes. And um, tell me a little bit about that. I had to go down the rabbit hole actually to figure out what this was, but it's very cutting edge. So I wanted to get that in. It's very cool. Yeah. yeah like, so, yeah. So um, we're kind of looking overall, I think, at the next um, evolution of the music business. And if we want to think about the last one happened in 2001 with Napster coming out in the age of like digital piracy, which led us now into streaming platforms. And now we're going to talk about Web3 on the blockchain and just a couple few basics. What is the blockchain? Well, you can think of it as the new internet. Okay. So when we want to really break it down to layman's terms here, an NFT is a collectible. So if you as a kid collected like comic books, or, you know, uh, Beanie Babies or Smurfs or baseball cards. And you had the notion as a kid, well, I'm going to buy this and flip it. That's what people are. That's how people are engaging in NFTs right now. So um, it's, it, and it's it works because people believe in it. And there's community people that are trading in it and they're making and losing and buying and selling money and um so music on the blockchain why would i buy why would you buy g loves nft well if you like to support what i'm doing you know that if you bought the nft 90 percent of those royalties are going to come to me and my team so that we can continue to fund projects and you know pay for this making of this record um and so it's a great way to take out the middleman just know that if you spend records on spotify we surely appreciate it but just know that we don't get paid on it really like the labels ended up doing huge deals with spotify and pandora and all the streaming platforms but the musicians really didn't see any of that so there's it's harder and harder forever for musicians to kind of justify making a record because it's you're just not going to be able to sell any copies right so we hope that the nft is going to like really like kind of break through and bring back ownership to the musicians and, and artists in a different genre. And also the last thing is that because it's a collectible, right? There's always the opportunity that you could um, buy my record or someone else's record. And it would be, cause it's like a limited edition kind of thing that you would be able to flip that and make, make money at that. Um, I'm not promising that, but I'm just saying that's what, that's what's happening. People buy and trade NFTs. So it's going to be interesting. And I'm proud to say that we're like the first blues album coming out as, as an NFT. So it's, it's, I like juxtapositions, Amy, and this is a juxtaposition between like the oldest form, you know, American music and the newest form of American music, hip hop. And, uh, you know, this newest technology. So our NFT comes with four digital, variations of the album artwork some are animated and also comes with a gold rare gold vinyl that we ship to you so you you get and you get to stream it you get to download it as well so you, you're getting everything you want except for you're supporting the artist directly the album is amazing um it's philadelphia mississippi 
Um, it's so creative. You're an amazing artist. We wish you the best of luck with the album. Can't wait to see you. Let us know when you're in Memphis and we'll come by and say hi and you can come by and say hi. Um, but we really appreciate you stopping by and talking with us about the album. All right, folks, that does it for this edition of Insights. Thank you so much to Gila for dropping by today to chat with us about his latest studio album, Philadelphia, Mississippi. Get out there on the internet or get to a record shop near you and secure yourself a copy of this genre-bending, Delta Blues-flavored piece of magic. And don't forget to share about what you heard on the show today with your friends and encourage them to support G-Love on his musical journey. He's got a relentless appetite for touring. He's been doing it all his life. So get out to a show as soon as you can. From all of us at Diddy TV, thanks again for tuning in today. And we hope to see you again real soon, right here on Insights. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.